0: was given on March 23, 2021 by Kyle S. McKay, then a General Authority Seventy of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
1: Thank you for that beautiful musical number and for that introduction, President, and Anna for that sweet invocation. I pray that the spirit that is already here might continue with us. Jennifer and I are filled with joy and gratitude to be here today with you. In the fall of 1978, we were both freshmen here at BYU and in the same ward. We never spoke, but we knew of each other. And Five years later, after we had both served missions, we finally became acquainted and began dating here on campus. And 37 years after that, it is sweet to have another date here on campus. We recognize that college life is fun, but not always. A few weeks ago, our three-year-old granddaughter was moaning, whimpering, and even crying. Jennifer bent down and said, Catherine, what's happening? Why ever are you crying? Little Catherine, with her big brown eyes, looked up and in a quivering voice said, Oh, Grandma, I don't want to go away to college. There are some of you who may feel that way now. Just know there is a little three-year-old girl out there who feels your pain. My prayer is that spirit that has attended and guided my preparations might now magnify this important message to your hearts. Near the end of his ministry, Nephi declared with some urgency, I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. He then spoke, or wrote, of faith, repentance, baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end—principles and ordinances he identified as the doctrine of Christ. As I have thought about and prayed for you in preparation for this assignment, I have been filled with a similar sense of urgency. Today I feel that I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. In doing so, however, I speak of a doctrine even more foundational than the principles and ordinances identified by Nephi as the doctrine of Christ. I speak of the core belief and simple doctrine that there must needs be a Christ. That is what I mean today when I use the phrase doctrine of Christ. Naturally, if there must needs be a Christ, then his identity is just as important as his existence. In the scriptures, we read how this doctrine of Christ has been disputed, debated, and defended throughout the ages. I find it interesting that the people among whom Jesus came during his mortal ministry did not reject the doctrine of Christ— They believed in a Messiah and Deliverer. They were not anti-Christ. They were anti-Jesus. By contrast, the antagonists in this land during Book of Mormon times were not necessarily against the person of Jesus. They seldom got to his identity. Instead, they rejected the very idea of a Christ. They did not recognize the need for a Messiah or Redeemer. They were anti-Christ. The sophisticated secularists of our day seem to resemble more closely those found in the Book of Mormon. Indeed, the Book of Mormon is both testament and type. As you know, many nations of the earth have begun to identify themselves as post christian In this country, it seems that those who make such a claim or push such a movement are also the ones asserting that this country was not founded or established on Christian values or Judeo-Christian values. These anti-Christ or Christian crusaders are not looking beyond the mark, as did biblical Jews. Rather, they are seeking to erase the mark altogether blotting it out through rules and revisions, seeking to put down all authority and power which cometh from God, just as the Nephites did on the eve of their destruction. You may have observed, as I have, the difficulty in simultaneously arguing that this nation was not founded on Christian values and, after 250 years, this nation is now post-Christian. Arguments against the doctrine of Christ often lack logic, but they are almost always flattering and enticing. In December of 2017, Elder D. Todd Christofferson delivered a Christmas message on this campus. I commend it to you, particularly those portions that were reprinted in the December 2020 issue of the Liahona under the title why we need Jesus Christ. To his message, I add my own witness and observations as I seek to explore and answer what Amulek called quote, the great question, which is whether there shall be a Christ. Close quote. In Frank Capra's Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey was shown what the world would have been like without him. For George, this exercise was moving and convincing, albeit a little frightening. For a few moments, it may be helpful for you and me to consider the frightening hypothetical what if there be no Christ? I appreciate Elder Christopherson's understated response to that question. Well, he said, To start with, there is this small matter of death. Indeed, if there be no Christ, then there is no resurrection. And if there is no resurrection, death is the end. Or in other words, death has no end. Those who reject the doctrine of Christ embrace the idea of extinction, the doom of never-ending death. Now, Anyone who has taken a marketing class on this campus can confirm that everlasting death is not a particularly strong selling point for any product. So the secularist antichrist pitch necessarily focuses on the immediate and is almost always some variation of, eat, drink, and be merry because this is it. The good news of the gospel is that our potential is higher, deeper, and fuller than simply living the life of a beer commercial. Our life is forever, and the resurrection is real, because there is a Christ. If there be no Christ, there is no healing from our sorrows, no relief from our pain, no hope for deliverance. You may reflexively be inclined to say what has been said by so many for so many years. Time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Time doesn't heal anything. Jesus, with time and over time, heals all wounds. He graciously grants interim and ultimate victories over suffering and death, even to those who do not believe in a resurrection or who fail to acknowledge His hand in their healing. Isaiah likened such people unto a staff that purports to lift up itself as if it were no wood. Remember this grand key. Faith in Christ accelerates and magnifies all healing. He took upon Himself all our infirmities so that He can come to us with healing in His wings. If there be no Christ, there is no healing, no deliverance from suffering, no matter how much time may pass. If there be no Christ, there can be no change. There can be no choice. Think about that. The revelations teach us that Lucifer sought and still seeks to destroy the agency of man. It is tremendous irony that Lucifer and those who sided with him got what they fought for. They lost their agency. They are eternally unable to choose happiness, liberty, and eternal life. Instead, they are forever miserable, forever captive, forever dead as to things pertaining to righteousness. If there be no Christ, that is our fate as well. Jacob taught, Our spirits must have become subject to the devil and like unto him forever unable to choose, forever unable to change. What a relief it is to know that there is a Christ and that through His Atonement our agency has been preserved, including our ability to choose to repent, to change permanently for the better in Him. In a related matter, if there be no Christ— no wrong could ever be undone. The wrongs we have committed and the effects thereof would remain forever. The wrongs committed against us and the effects thereof would remain forever. The unfairness and injustice of this life would perpetuate, forever unchecked, never undone. Who among you has figured out how to unsay the unkind words you have spoken. You can apologize for saying them, but you cannot undo the fact that they were said. You can return a stolen item, but you can't undo the fact that it had been stolen. Some of us have unintentionally caused injury to or even the death of another, perhaps a child. Has anyone figured out how to undo that? We have all been injured or wronged by someone else. We didn't deserve it. Some of us have lost a loved one prematurely through the negligence or recklessness of another. That is so unfair and cannot be undone by monetizing our pain in a court of law. Moreover, in the simple process of living life, we are likely to experience crippling pains and injuries, debilitating conditions and undeserved infirmities of mind and body. All of these persist forever, if there be no Christ. Elder John A. Witso taught, quote, The fall of Adam had made possible the earth experience, but another act was necessary. Someone must cancel out the effect of the fall. Close quote. Only a Christ, a Messiah and Deliverer, could undo the effects of the fall of Adam and Eve. Only a Christ can undo the effects of the fall of you and me. We are taught that for those who do not repent, it is as though no redemption had been made. Consider the converse. For those who do repent, truly repent, It is as though no sin had been committed. I, the Lord, remember them no more, not because he has some godly power to forget, but because there is simply nothing to remember. In his world, the eternal world, it is gone. Its effects are canceled. It is undone. President Boyd K. Packer taught, quote, The atonement of Jesus Christ leaves no tracks, no traces. What it fixes is fixed, and what it heals stays healed. Through the tenderness of his mercy, we are delivered from the just consequences we would otherwise deserve because of our sins. But what about the wrongs and injustices foisted upon us that we don't deserve. What about those? In this, his justice is as tender as his mercy, and it joins in perfect union and cooperation with mercy for our good and gladness. With the prophet Jacob, I invite you to prepare your souls for that glorious day when justice shall be administered, unto the righteous. In that day, every wrong shall be righted. Every unfairness shall be undone, perhaps as though it had never happened. But remember, if there be no Christ, there is no tender mercy, no tender justice only cold, calculated, inflexible justice for our sins and the cold, random injustice of a fallen world, if there be no Christ. You may want to consider on your own other things or conditions that would or would not be if there be no Christ. Think creation of the world, for example. But for now, let us move beyond this hypothetical returning to the joyous reality that there is, and must needs be, a Christ, and that Jesus is that Christ. To shore up your belief that there must needs be a Christ, and to bind your souls to Jesus, who is the Christ, I invite you to read again King Benjamin's final address and the surrounding events as recorded in Mosiah chapters 1 through 6. Observe how he teaches the doctrine of Christ by establishing with brutal candor the people's desperate need to be saved. This need arises because of their condition—they are unprofitable, less than the dust of the earth, natural enemies to God—and their conduct—they have sins, including improper thoughts, words, and deeds. Having thus established that there must needs be a Christ, King Benjamin then introduces them to Jesus, who is the Christ. Quote, and lo, he shall suffer temptations and pains of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer, except it be unto death. And he shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God and lo, he cometh, that salvation might come unto the children of men, even through faith on his name. Read those chapters. They are a dissertation on the doctrine of Christ. As you read them with an open mind and a soft heart, the Spirit will help you to remember that our potential is beyond our present capacity. We cannot attain it on our own and we cannot attain it in our current condition. We need help. We need a helper. We need Jesus, who is our helper. This need for help, and especially the acknowledgment of a need for help, is the beginning of an understanding of the doctrine of Christ and the beginning of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If faith is the first principle of the gospel, then humility may be the chief attribute of the faithful. Only the humble recognize their frail and fallen state, their need for help, their need for a Savior. Humility is a forerunner and magnifier of faith. I encourage you to live continually humble." As you seek to increase your understanding of the doctrine of Christ and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I remind you of two things Alma taught about this process. First, recall that he compared the word to a seed and invited us to give place that this seed may be planted in your heart. Faith is not the seed. The word is the seed. Faith is what nourishes the word or the seed. So what is the word we are invited to plant in our hearts? It is the doctrine of Christ. Alma tells us, If ye could be healed by merely casting about your eyes that ye might be healed, would ye not behold quickly? Then cast about your eyes and begin to believe in the Son of God, that he will come to redeem his people, and that he shall suffer and die to atone for their sins, and that he shall rise again from the dead, which shall bring to pass the resurrection. And now, my brethren and sisters, I desire that ye shall plant this word in your hearts, and as it beginneth to swell, even so nourish it by your faith. Close quote. The second thing we need to remember is something Alma said as he established the parameters of this experiment upon the Word. He invited us to exercise a particle of faith. Yea, even if ye can no more than desire to believe. The way this is written, and especially the way it is often read, it can seem as though a desire to believe is not the preferred starting point, but some sort of fallback position. Like, if that's the best you can do, well, then start there, I guess. Please hear and understand, a desire to believe is absolutely critical. Ultimately, it marks the difference between those who come to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent And those who ignore the evidence, spin the facts, reject the truth, and trample under their feet the Holy One of Israel, because they hearken not to the voice of his counsels, whether it be his own voice or the voice of his servants. You will never believe what you do not want to believe. Please. Protect and guard your precious, sometimes fragile, desire to believe. A few years ago, my friend's two-year-old daughter climbed into their small wading pool, lost her balance, and silently drowned. I do not need to tell you. I cannot tell you. It is impossible to tell you the grief and shock and anguish that that family went through at the death of that little girl. If there be no Christ, they never recover from it. That little girl stays dead. There is no resurrection, no hope for a reunion. But there is a Christ, and that little girl lives on. There will be a resurrection and a reunion. The sweet little girl continues to be an influence upon her family, and not merely through memories. Christ is kind, and he will deliver. Not long ago, I sat in a ceiling room in the Draper Temple, witnessing the sealing of a beautiful young couple. I marveled because I was somewhat familiar with the dark past of the groom. I don't know everything he had been involved in, but I knew that he had been involved in, well, pretty much everything. He had fallen deep and far. If there be no Christ, that young man doesn't change. That young man can't change. But there in the ceiling room, there he was, changed. I searched his face even squinting my eyes, trying to detect some residue of his dark past. But there was none, only light and joy and love and hope. Why? Because there is a Christ, and his atonement leaves no tracks, no traces. No matter how far or deep you have fallen, Jesus has descended deeper and farther. During his descent, he became acquainted with your grief, and he was bruised by your iniquities. He did it so that he could rise above it all and bring you back home where you belong. Nor is it his aim to simply save us by the skin of our teeth. No. His promise is sure, I am able to make you holy without spot. In a stirring exchange recorded in the book of Matthew, Peter had the opportunity to bear his witness, his testimony of Jesus to Jesus, an opportunity each of us will likely have one day. In response to Jesus' inquiry, Whom say ye that I am? Peter testified, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, saying, Blessed art thou, Simon bar Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Let's pause and consider that. Think of all the things Peter saw or experienced with Jesus in the flesh. He saw the sick healed and the lepers cleansed. In the flesh, Peter saw the lame walk, the dumb talk, the deaf hear, the blind see, the dead brought back to life. He helps Jesus feed multitudes, and he walked on water with Jesus. All of these and so much more. Peter saw or experienced in the flesh. But Jesus said to him, in essence, Peter, that's not how you know. That's not why you know I am the Christ. You know I am the Christ because of the Spirit of Revelation, the Holy Ghost confirming to your mind and to your heart that I am the Christ the Son of the living God. By the same power and by the same process, I bear the same witness as that chief apostle in the primitive Church. I testify that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Over a lifetime, I have come to view and understand my own Pitiful fallen state. I have experienced sin and sorrow, suffering and infirmities of mind and body. I have experienced unfairness and injustice at the hands of others and through the harshness of life. All of these and so much more have given me a sure knowledge that there must needs be a Christ. I have also searched the scriptures pondered and prayed, wrestled in the Spirit, and basked in the Spirit. I have earnestly, sometimes desperately, sought for relief, forgiveness, solace, and testimony. And in Jesus I have found them. All of these and so much more have given me a sure knowledge that Jesus is Christ. With all my heart, I invite you to seek this Jesus. He is so accessible. I bear witness that He is alive right now. Jesus is saving and helping and healing and forgiving right now. He is quick to forgive and slow to anger. He is mighty to save, and to that end, He is mighty to change you and me. I testify that the answer to the great question is, there must needs be a Christ, and Jesus is the Christ. Let us come unto him in humility and faith, so that we will be prepared when He comes unto us in power and great glory, is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity. By study and by faith, come follow me, Love and Marriage, and the Prophet Joseph Smith. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.